Today's message is, uh, I guess you could consider it to be a sequel from the word that Mike shared with us last week. Uh, uh, It all begins with Hebrews 11.6, and we've seen this, and uh, let's really look at it fresh for the first time. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. What a great word, huh? Without confidence in God, without trusting in, clinging to, and relying on God's dependability, His truth, His wisdom, His promises, without faith, which I just defined, without faith, we will not and we cannot please God. That's pretty powerful. I just want to define biblical faith again, okay? Biblical faith is full confidence and complete trust in God. It is literally clinging to and relying on God's dependability, His truth, His wisdom, and His promises. Without biblical faith, no matter what we do, we cannot satisfy God. Amen? Yeah. God cannot be pleased with the human being who has no confidence in Him, who doubts the truth of His declarations and doubts His promises, who does not believe that His ways are right or that He is in control. In fact, I see, and it appears to me, that the new life requirement of faith in God is not even arbitrary. It's not illogical because uh, its foundational qualities are presented to us in everyday relational living. Faith in us uh, as parents is what we require of our very own children. If you haven't, uh, if you're not a parent yet, you'll find that out soon enough. But that's what we require our very own children to have in us, which in turn, our children eventually need us to have in them. Eventually. And I hope to elaborate on that in just a few more minutes. But in the meantime, the scriptural declarations about faith require more than a general uh, persuasion of the truth that there is a God. We all know that uh, a whole lot of people say, well, sure. Yeah, sure, there's, there's a God. So it requires more than that. This goes beyond this wide-ranging point of view that we seem to have the, about God being real. It has to go deeper than that. Just the fundamentals of Hebrew chapter 11 uh, communicate that, is, that it's necessary that we have this belief, this faith in proactive implementation of drawing near to God through Jesus the Christ with The present tense, I want to emphasize current now with the present tense realization that we are tangibly in the presence of an almighty God. Present tense. Every moment of every single day. Not just on a Sunday morning worship service, but tangibly in His presence all the time. If we could not trust and be confident that God hears and answers our prayers, there would absolutely be no encouragement to call upon Him be a waste of time. So I need to mention too that the, the rewards mentioned in Hebrews eleven six. when you read that scripture, they are not at all meant to be the motive for seeking God. <laughs> and we as Americans are trained differently from birth, but I'm here to tell you they're not to be the motive for seeking God. They are the results of or the outcome of that seeking. 
And it's a wonderful thing. The point is, it is impossible to make an acceptable, even an acceptable approach to God unless we have biblical faith. And based on my perception, the faith referred to we just talked about uh, is the faith which belongs to the born-again-from-above believer. Now, I substantiate the perception with the evidence that there's no such thing as an unbeliever having full confidence and complete trust in God. It just doesn't happen. I've never seen it. I've never seen an unbeliever fully trusting God. Uh, Lost people do not cling to and rely on God's dependability any more than we did before we knew God through Jesus Christ. It does not happen. Uh, They don't cling to and rely on His truth, His wisdom, and His promises. Because if they did, they would not be lost. They'd be born again. Does it make sense to you? It doesn't happen. So, with this ammunition, and I only say this because we've got so many people from Boonville, with this ammunition now, we can load the gun, okay? Y'all relate to that. I know you do. (laughs) Well, we'll talk about that later. But anyway, having the elementary comprehension of biblical faith helps us gain more treasure from the Word, especially the Word that Mike began to share with us last week. And let me share with you a remarkable case in point, Hebrews 11.1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Uh, Let's expand on that. Now, faith... Now, full confidence and complete trust in God while literally clinging to and relying on His dependability, His truth, His wisdom, and His promises is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Biblical faith. Clearly, we can see here that faith in Hebrews eleven six is an attribute or a characteristic of a child of God, a believer, a born-again-from-above Christian. Within my limited capacities of understanding, I consider this to be crucial in the apprehension of godly wisdom. I mean, after all, and I'm going to, all these scriptures are in your bulletin. We've got a little insert, but, but think about this. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 confirms believers are the one who walk by faith. We're the ones who walk by faith. Philippians 3, 20 and John 15, uh, 19 validate that born-again believers do not belong to the world. We don't belong to the world any longer. And because this is true, faith is absolutely necessary for us to make it through this journey. Absolutely necessary. Romans 14.23 indicates that that, uh, whatever is not of faith is sin. Romans 1.17, 3.22, 5.1, as well as Philippians 3.9 and Galatians 2.16, 3.26, Acts 26.18. These are all concise declarations that we as true followers of Jesus live by faith. We're justified and sanctified by and through faith. It's an amazing thing to think about. And this all we're getting to a point here, so just hang with me, okay? Galatians chapter 3, Ephesians 2, 8, uh, and 3, 17 all record that we become born again by faith. Jesus, Jesus dwells in us by way of his precious Holy Spirit, which we receive by faith. And we can only see, uh, receive the grace of God through faith. So it's all lined out in Scripture. Everything fits together. Ephesians 6, 16, Revelation chapters 2 and 3 and chapter 21, verse 17. 1 John 5, 4 through 5, tell us that faith is our shield against the attacks of the enemy and that our faith is what makes us overcomers. Power pack, make no mistake about it. The substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen is the faith which belongs to the born again. 
Mm. And without it, where would you be? Where would you be? As we have been talking about for weeks now, we've been talking about uh, things concerning grace and receiving and accepting uh, these gifts from God. Faith is also a gift from God. And it's important for us to understand that we are discovering that the only accurate way to understand ourselves is by who God is and by what God does for us, not by who we are and what we do for Him. Biblical faith is a gift from God. Romans twelve three. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. This passage, Romans 12, 3, is written to Christians. Paul says in the context before, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. He's talking about people in the family of God. Brothers does not include unbelievers. To Christians, God has allotted a measure of faith. Faith is not something that mysteriously arises out of the fallen nature of some people, but not others. Our fallen nature chooses not to have faith in God. That's the way it is. That's why it's called fallen. Our developed conscious may even give our conscience, may even give us some right or wrong uh, indicators, but even our conscience does not lead us to God for the answer. It doesn't. Hebrews 9, 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Even our conscience does not point towards God. Biblical faith does not exist in us before God gives it to us. So it just doesn't simply materialize when we think we choose it to. God chooses. Jesus announces in, in John six forty four, No one is able to come to me unless the Father who sent me attracts and draws them and gives them the desire to come to me. In the same passage, John six thirty seven, Jesus declares, All whom my Father gives in trust to me will come to me. God is the one who grants or rewards biblical faith. It's his to give. I'd like to give it to everybody. I'd like to just tap everybody with that magic wand on the head and say, ding, believe, believe. I'd love to do that. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. It's one thing to be convicted of sin by the Holy Spirit, which is one of his primary functions here on this planet, but it's entirely another thing to actually accept and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This is why we see a lot of people who come to the altar, what we used to call the altar. We don't do that much like we used to, but come to the altar and, and they're weeping and they, we think they got saved, but really what happened, I'm about to explain, because it's entirely another thing to accept Jesus as Lord uh, when you've given the faith to do so. Conviction is the very first step, very first step, because the truth convicts. We are all guilty of sin. There's not one of us. We're all guilty of sin. Guilt and conviction are the result of sin. Sin is the problem. Guilt is the symptom. Sin is the problem. Guilt is the symptom. Before Jesus, we have a sin problem, not a guilt problem. Now, sin is, I mean, guilt is a symptom, but it's not the problem. Attempting to solve symptoms rather than problems, which is what America is best at doing, even in our churches, attempting to solve symptoms rather than the problems inevitably makes everything worse. 
And that's why I consider it so very strange that I see in a lot of church bodies today, there is this industry of solving the guilt symptom. And this is to the spiritual demise of so many people. We even pay money to have somebody make us feel good without repentance without turning from our sin and turning to God. We do that. They give us this temporary illusion of God's approval of our sin. And this is just to alleviate our guilt with smooth words is all it is. But unless the sin which causes the guilt is dealt with, any relief is only going to be a temporary emotional experience and it's going to make the problem worse. It's going to make the problem worse. Conviction is the first work of the Holy Spirit. John 16, 7 through 8. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. There's a progression here I I need to be... I need to state, God's Holy Ghost does convict the world of sin so they will know they need a Savior. That's exactly what happened to you if you're born again. He convicted you of your sin. That's why some people are so uncomfortable around you. The Holy Ghost in you convicts them of their sin. They don't really understand what's going on, but you see how they act. Oh, here he comes. Here she comes. I better not talk about that. I better not do that. They go to church. You know, they don't understand, but, but it's the Holy Spirit inside of them convicting them of their sin. They don't, we didn't quite understand it, did it? But it happened. It happened. All of a sudden, we're convicted of our sin. And, and then, once God empowers us with faith, uh, then, then we accept and confess Jesus Christ as our Savior, and we respond. And then what happens? The Holy Spirit starts convicting us of righteousness. It went from convicting us of sin to convicting us of righteousness. That's what happened in your life if you take a look at it. Because everything you look at now is a different perspective. You see, well, well, God, I get chastised or, or, or God uh, uh, takes care of me in certain ways because he wants me to see how righteous he can be through me. Do you, do you see that? I hope you see that. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. By grace through faith you are saved. Not by grace you can have faith and are saved. It's not grace plus faith. It is grace through faith. Remember Jeff's book, Grace Plus What? Nothing. Grace through faith. Faith is the instrument which takes hold of Jesus Christ and his work, but faith has no redemptive value in and of itself. None at all. It is the Holy Spirit which unites us to Christ through faith, not because of it, but through it. We all agree that we, uh, uh, we have to believe for justification before God. But as Roman three, uh, Romans 3, 11 and 12, John 3, 3, and a whole lot of other scriptures indicate, not one of us was naturally willing to submit to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That wasn't in our nature. That's not what we did. That's not what we practiced doing from the day we were born. So where does this faith come from? It is another one of God's gift to us. It's amazing. The reason he gives and gives and gives is so that Ephesians 2.9 remains absolutely and concrete true so that no one may boast. 
No one. His gifts are not the result of what anyone can possibly do. So no one can pride themselves in them or take any glory to themselves, even being born again. Why? 1 Corinthians 12, 3. No one can say Jesus is Lord except, say that, by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you did not receive? So even our faith is a gift from God. And if you'll grab this, if you'll grab everything that God gives you, which is everything, it changes your worship. It changes the way you see yourself and you see God. Everything is a gift. You're never going to deserve it. You never have deserved it. That's why Jesus paid the price so that God can absolutely give you everything, give you everything, and you can live that way. What a magnificent concept. We don't operate that way naturally, but we don't have to. Now the gun's loaded. Now let's take a look. Faith is a gift from Father God to his children. God would not be pleased without us having faith because it would be impossible to have it without him. We wouldn't have it. This brings us back to a concept I presented just a few moments ago and I wanted to elaborate on. This is what I said. God cannot be pleased with a human human being who has no confidence in him. We know that. Uh, Who doubts the truth of his declarations and his promises. Who does not believe that his ways are right or that he is absolutely in control. Uh, uh, In fact, it appears to me this new life requirement faith. Remember I said it's not arbitrary. It's not illogical. We see it evidenced in our own lives. Parents and children. We require our children to have faith in us. And one day they're going to require that we have faith in them. Now, let me clarify that. The faith we have in our children is produced by what we have invested in them. That's the faith we have in our children. And we see it, uh, the Bible promises, you know, if you train them in the way they should go, if we invest in them, what we have in us, we invest in them. If you train them in the way they should go, they'll not, they'll they'll not leave it. They'll come back to it if they do leave, right? You've read that. You know what I'm talking about. They have faith in us because of what we have invested in. Well, we have faith in them, I should say, because what we have invested in them, what, what we have put in them produces our faith in them. So yes, we have faith in God. Absolutely. But God, our father has faith in us because of what he has invested in us. God himself believes in you because of what he has put in you and what he has put in you is himself. Oh, somebody should be dancing and shouting right now, Dan. Think about that. That's why God believes in you. He put himself in. God has faith in you because he knows who he is. He knows what he's put inside you. And he knows that whatever we are as his children has been given to us. God believes in you. You are the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. If you're born again from above, you are the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. If you don't grab that, you will in just a second. Look at it. Now, now, Hebrews 11.1, 1, look at that again. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The substance, the material, okay? The essence, the body, or the matter of something. The substance of unseen hope and the evidence, the proof, the confirmation, and the substantiation, the evidence of unseen hope. This is who we are as Christians because of what has been given to us. We are the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. 
What is our hope? That's accurately answered by who is our hope. Romans 15, 12, Isaiah says, There shall be a sprout from the root of Jesse who rises to rule over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles hope. Ephesians 4, 4 through 5, there is one body and one spirit, just also there is one hope that belongs to the calling you received. There is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Our hope, our one and only hope, is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The substance or the essence of Jesus Christ, our unseen hope, and the evidence or the proof of Jesus Christ, whom we have not seen, is faith. Where is this faith found? In people, in us, in the born again from above. It's not like the 60s out there like a little butterfly flying around and you eventually can grab it. Find yourself. No. Yeah, some of you were there. That's why you're laughing. (laughs) The faith is found in human beings, in born-again human beings. This is not some abstract philosophical concept. This is real and this is genuine. The born-again believer is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. You as a Christian are the proof, the substantiation, the evidence, the confirmation of what the world cannot and does not see. His name is Jesus and you are the evidence that he is real by what? What has been given you? Now, that's just the introduction. Now we can fire the loaded gun. Hopefully we hit the target, and the target's your heart. And Romans 8, 29 through 33, For whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he foredestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Now, yeah, I hope you understand that. Yeah, comprehend that. The first part of this message has given us the scriptural motivation to understand this passage I just read. Romans 8, 29 through 33. If we can understand now what this is communicating with the evidence we've just been given. We have been offered the incentive, the stimulus, and the drive to realistically get to the practical knowledge of God being for us and the application of who can be against us. Based on what we've just heard, based on this introduction, we can live in the biblical tenacity to never, ever give up. Since God is for us, who can be against us? Since God is for you, since he's for, since God is on your side in favor of you, in support of you, since he has given and continues to freely give you exactly what you need to live abundantly, physically, spiritually, and mentally, since God Almighty is on your side, since there is nothing you have as a child that he did not give you, then I've got to ask you who, what, when, where, how, even why, none of these things could possibly be in successful opposition to who you are. Nothing, nothing. Well, that changes, that changes your life, doesn't it? If you really grab that, that changes it. 
You're a child of God. If God is for us, who can be against us? While the discovery of the complete ramifications of this declaration is a journey without end, I do see there are astounding moments of of disclosure along the way which keep us just forging ahead, keep us moving ahead. And I hope today is one of those. I hope this morning is one of those points in time uh, for you. Really knowing heart, mind, and soul, really, really knowing that God is for you is the foundation needed to radically live out our lives as Scripture explains can happen. I, I, I still won't forget some of the uh, people I've seen in doing a lot of the evangelistic outreaches and uh, we'll talk to them just a few weeks later and they pick up the Bible and they want to know, well, why aren't we doing this right here? How come we're not? How come we're not? Wait, look at this, Pastor Jerry. Why, why are we doing that? Faith. Never give up, never give up. Our substance for survival consists of these three words, never give up. Grace is his gift to you. Faith is his gift to you. Giving up is like trying to return the gifts you have been given. And I'm here to tell you there is no return policy for something you didn't even buy. You don't even have the receipt. Try taking it back. Oh, I know. Yeah, well, we know how you got that. Gifts from God do not come with gift receipts in case they do not fit. doesn't work that way. You can no more give back his gifts than you can give back your DNA to your biological parents. It ain't going to happen. As Jesus said, it is finished. Glory to God. Never give up, never quit, stay on course. Follow that dream that God has put in you. I know your family's told you it's ridiculous. Oh, you can't do that. I know they have. I know your friends have told you that. Follow what God has put in you. No matter what things look like, circumstances do not dictate who you are anymore. Stay at it. Stay, never give up. The examples we are to follow are endless endless. Noah was a drunk, wasn't he? You read it. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. You know, Jacob was a liar, flat out lied. Leah was ugly. (laughs) Joseph, Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem, problem. Gideon was just frightened out of his wits. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were way too young. David was an adulterer. He was also a murderer. Elijah, Elijah, the great prophet, was suicidal. Isaiah preached absolutely naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. Oh, no. John the Baptist ate bugs. <laughs> Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep. Couldn't even stay awake during prayer time. Martha worried about everything. And when there was nothing to worry about, she worried about that. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Oh, no. Zacchaeus was way too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer. And listen to this, Lazarus was dead. (laughs) 
It's always, listen, it's always too soon to quit. Always. Always. Just when you think it can't get anywhere. Just when you think it's the, it's always too soon to quit. Haven't you ever noticed it's always the last key in the tangled up mess that opens the door? Have you noticed that? It's always never too soon to quit. If you fall 50 times, get up 51 times. If God is for you, who can be against you? Who? Who? It's a gift. From the moment we embark on this new life of following Jesus Christ, numerous reasons immediately present themselves that push us to quit what he's compelling us to do. They did fear of failure, whatever they are, fear of success, laziness, failing to believe in his power, distractions, not really understanding or misunderstanding that what you have are all gifts on and on. These reasons go, they're just out there, you know. The idea to quit remains present in our minds as long as these reasons exist. And I'm not sure, Sam, but I think I've heard about all of them. I think. I'm writing a book on that too, Reasons to Quit. You know, it's a lot longer than the reasons to stay on it. But, but the likelihood that we will quit only increases when we start paying attention to the ideas. This is one of the reasons we come together to physically, physically hear the word of God and worship together like we did here this morning. Because it provides us with the proper ideas. It interrupts all this other stuff and takes its place. Uh, The ideas that we actually need to pay attention to. Including the idea and the concept of the the gift of biblical faith. God leaves nothing out as we come full circle in Romans 10, 17. So faith comes by hearing what is told and what is heard comes by the preaching of the message that came from the lips of Christ, the Messiah himself. God doesn't leave anything. There is no guesswork. The word of God provides us with the ideas and the ideals we need to pay attention to because true and genuine godly change for the purpose of maturity always takes a lot longer to respond to than it should, or at least than we think it should. Always, always. And I really do consider if we teach each other this from the get-go, then it can make a big difference in helping us stick to God's plan instead of making up our own and sticking to that. It always takes longer. It takes a lot longer because we forget that any changing or any maturity has to be done in us personally, first, foremost, always. Not in everybody and everything else. We don't naturally think that way. It's always, well, if she would just, you know, or if he would just, then everything would be. No, I think it's me. In fact, I know it's me. I'm my own worst enemy. That's why we have such a problem. We forget this is an inside job, and we forget we can't do it anyway. I'm going to try to believe. I'm going to go out the door down, I'm not going to sin. And he better get the coffin ready because I'm going to sin. We cannot do it. We cannot do it. That's why Jesus Christ came because he knew that. God, no, we cannot do it. It takes the gift of God. And we forget this. God has to do it. And God does it through giving unconditional eternal gifts. Love, grace, faith, hope, gifts that are his to give as he sees fit. God wants to revolutionize our relationship behavior with him each and every day. And how's that look? It looks like this. Thank you. Thank you. 
You're so busy thanking him that you don't do that, that sin you thought you would never overcome because you're so busy saying, thank you. A year goes by and you realize, wow, I'm not doing that anymore. What happened? Thank you. That's what happened. You, you didn't concentrate on the sin any longer. You started concentrating on the idea and the ideals in Scripture that God is worthy to be praised. Man, oh man, oh man. And I got to tell you, uh, this is for somebody too, and I'm, this specifically. Answering yes to the call of God on your life, saying yes to a ministry or, or volunteer opportunity is not going to make you a better person. It ain't going to happen. The ultimate power for change has to come from within, and it's only the gift of the Holy Spirit within you that can effectively change you. There is no outside uh, uh, volunteerism or, or charitable deed you can do. That's, it has to come from within. That's why you do the charitable deed, because the change has already come. It's a result of that change. You don't do it to get changed, because it don't happen. I, I know lots of people who've done lots of charity that are just mean as snakes. Just mean, nasty. What are they doing? They're trying to deal with the symptom, aren't they? Guilt. Instead of dealing with the problem. Never begin any ministry, never begin any calling, whether it's teaching or whether it is cutting the lawn, cutting the grass. Never begin any work with the thought, well, this sounds interesting. I'll try it and see if it works. If that is your thinking, if that's your mindset, then whenever you set your your foot to, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. To have a real chance of fulfilling your destiny within God's plan from the least of duties to the greatest of duties because if you're not faithful in the small things, he's not going to make you faithful in the big things, okay? That comes first. From the least of duties to the greatest, you have to take personal ownership of Scripture. Since God is for me, nothing or nobody can be against me. I can do all things through Christ, who is my strength. This is going to work. God will do it through me, so I don't even have to consider quitting because I'm not the one doing it. Mm -mm -mm. Yep, it's going to take longer than what you thought. Absolutely. (laughs) Always. Yes, there are going to be major problems. There's even going to be religious distractions in there somewhere. Absolutely. It will be difficult, and those you thought who were with you won't be. But never forget, never lose sight of the fact you are the substance of things hoped for. You are the evidence of things not seen. There is no stopping. There is no quitting. Never give up because God never has and never will. Ephesians 1, 18 through 20. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. We are discovering that the only accurate way to understand ourselves is by who God is and by what God does for us, not by who we are and what we do for him. Stay on this course. Stay on this course of discovering that as born-again believers, we have nothing that was not given us from God, even our faith. In the name of Jesus, never give up. Stay on this treasure. Amen. Amen. Amen.
And then come back.